Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we are discussing all things coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Two outstanding guests join me this week, so I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, uh, I'm, I'm Alison. I'm a little different, really, because my day job is executive coaching. So I work in organisations and help people with all kinds of things, varying from pure coaching to mentoring in business. So we look at mindset, confidence, belief, uh, right down to the things about having difficult conversations. But uh, the theme is that it's always engaging with people. Um, my my fun job, if you like, and the thing that really fascinates me is uh, equestrian coaching and other coaching in sports. So I've not long ago taken up paddle sports, so I go out in a kayak. So that's a big learning thing for me. Um, so coaching is right through everything that I do. I have an, an unending fascination in people uh, and a key curiosity. So um, that's what, what's keeping me going. Uh, yes, hello everybody. So uh, Gary Laybourne, I have the absolute privilege of being CEO of uh, Coach Core, a title uh, CEO bit that is that still sits a bit unsteady with me, but uh, I'm learning and I'm getting better with it every time, um, which links nicely as to why I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, essentially, I've been a coach uh, mainly in track and field and academy football um for a very long time i've been an athlete um pretty much since my teens so very much uh really focused on those kind of individual sports um for a number of years but i've also done um some coaching work at higher level as i say with academy football but also working with some rugby players as well just in terms of you know um, the backs and getting them faster and fitter and some elements of work there so a nod to the rugby audience with that um but yeah very much kind of thrust into the position which i'm sure we might get to a little bit later but um yeah thrust into my position through um a program uh, that seek to give apprentices to uh, sorry apprenticeships to disadvantaged young people so they can have a meaningful career pathways that not only change their life their work so we work with a number of different sports on that it just basically exploded um from 2012 when we set up the pilot program so we'll be celebrating our 10th year next year and um, under the umbrella of the Royal Foundation, it just got so big that it then needed to be established as a, as a charity. So I've gone from a council estate boy in a tracksuit to now having to act like I'm big and grown up these days uh, as we set the foundation up on April 1st, 2020, which was a baptism of fire. So that's a little bit of me. Fantastic. Great stuff. You don't have to act like a grown-up here, mate, so you're okay. Um... Winning, then. Already good. <laughs> Absolute pleasure to have you both on. Um, yeah, I, I think this will be a fascinating discussion. Um, so, Alison, do you want to kind of just tee us up around how we got to uh, you, I guess, kind of putting the question out on Twitter, and, and then we can kind of maybe delve into the conversations that we've had separately, but not not as a collective, and I guess we'll just see kind of see where the conversation goes from there. Okay, so if I'm talking too much or too much detail, then um, just stop me, Phil, because I'm quite happy to witter on, and I, I do get to waffle. Um an interesting uh, project came up for me recently when someone I've worked for uh, asked that I come and do some an away day for a charity board of trustees. And this was something completely different for me. So I usually work with people in businesses or in education. So they're employed and we're looking at fairly formal leadership stuff or, as I say, 
um, the rather more esoteric coaching end. So working with volunteers who are all well-respected people in their careers, some retired, some, some still working, put a completely different perspective on how I was going to help them gel as a team and to work together. Um, the other thing which was a bit of pressure for me was that I was going to be working with someone who's employed me as part of that team. So there was a kind of, oh, I need to get this right. And rightly or wrongly, I thought, okay, I can, I can move into a, a zone where I think I can be comfortable, uh, but which will be new for him as well. And I thought one of the things that's fascinated me for a long time is how sport and work in organisations links. So people have done this before. So quite a lot of sporting people will move into organisational leadership and so forth. But I really wanted to get, get behind this and, and do this for myself and talk to people who had ideas. So I'm not an academic. Um, I'm... I was a scientist, so I'm quite an analytical thinker, but what I wanted to do was to get talking to people who had ideas. And social media, you know, we all go, oh my goodness, it's awful, oh, that's amazing. One of the most amazing things is that if you ask a question, quite often you'll get an answer and it's really useful. It's this kind of hive mind. And so I put a question on Twitter, simply asking, what are the top five ingredients for a world-class sports team so it could be any team it could be cricket rugby football I mean I'm not a, I'm not a great team sports person I've always done adventure sports so out there on my own doing stuff so this is total departure for me and the really joyful thing was I had some fabulous people thank you Phil thank you Gary and a few others as well who really generously gave their time to talk about what they thought this meant um, and I lined this up with uh, my lovely husband who is a very keen sports watcher and to see what he thinks and we've come out with some really great themes for what will make a world-class team but also I'm now in the point where I want to try and relate that into the organization for our trustees um, and it's looking good there is lots there that we can work on. Fantastic. I, I mean, as you say, I think Twitter is or social media in general is is horrendous at times for for certain things. But actually, yeah, this is a real a real highlight that you can just kind of connect with so many different people with different backgrounds and and positive stuff comes out of it. So um, just just being able to go to that platform and and share that I think is wonderful. So um, do we do we want to just kind of start to touch on what I mean? I wasn't involved in your conversation, obviously. So do we, do we maybe want to start there? Because I mean, I'm definitely interested in knowing what you guys spoke about um yeah so i mean gary do you want to kind of just jump in with what what your elements were and, and how that kind of conversation unfolded and then maybe we can unpick unpick some of that yeah for sure um i mean you say it's a positive alison but i mean you couldn't have got that many responses if you needed me and phil to chip in so you know it's uh, i'm glad it was useful more importantly um <laughs> No, I think, I mean, one of the things, as I said, my, my whole, I actually got asked this question yesterday, we were on a Bristol site visit, and um, basically what my career pathway was, the apprentices that's just setting out on their journeys, and you know, I'm a complete geek of everything that we have in our space and in our sector, I, you know, I'm constantly reading at least two books on the go, one of which is always going to be about leadership or coaching or, you know, somebody's bio or something like that, so 
you know, good coaches doing those good things around stealing great ideas from others and, you know, practicing them. If they fail, they fail. And you just be transparent and honest enough to put your hand up and say that that was the case. And all those kind of lovely different things that, again, you know, Phil and others in the sector will know is the mark of a very good coach. And I think, you know, when Alison and I spoke, I'll lead off with the one that was just the easiest for me and always will be the number one. And that is, you know, the culture that you set. And I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there, there's so many skill sets and things that I need to learn, have learned. But I'd like to think that my background in coaching has been one of the reasons that we've been able to push on, arguably, you know, the, probably the toughest time you could ever want to set up a charity. Granted, we had eight years behind this, but setting it up as its own independent thing. And I think that, again, just lends itself to the fact that I was open and honest with all of my team and just believe that the expression around a fish rots from the head. So, you know, if you're not setting the culture yourself and you're not leading by those values um, and you're not honest to put your hand up to make mistakes, you know, when you make mistakes or get something sort of wrong, I think that's just, you know, so important. And for me, you know, within a sporting context, when Alice and I was speaking, I, I was saying, like, it was really interesting. I've read The Captain's Class, which is one of the best books I've read in ages. Um, such a, such a good book. And they're talking about people like Carlos Puyol, um, you know, a, a, a captain like that, that basically is not the ship and sets that culture. And you look at the other end of the scale where in the early 2000s, you had the Real Madrid Galacticos where they did try to buy every single best player in every best position. And it was a failed experiment. It didn't work. So I think for me, just, you know, that, that element of not having just the best people all the time, it's a case of setting the right culture is absolutely critical for a winning team, you know, in every sense of the word, be that sport or business. Mm. I think my follow-up question about around culture, what would you actually, without getting into a strict definition, what does that actually mean to you both? Because I, I do think it's one of these things that everyone talks about quite a lot, but actually I think there's lots of probably different, slightly different understandings or slightly different definitions. So from, from your guys' perspective, if you were going to kind of summarise that within a, a sentence or two, like what, what, is, what is culture to you? I think it's a kind of tacit understanding of, the way we do things around here. Uh, and that I think the fact that it, it is tacit is the reason it is so difficult to develop it or to change it or to get somebody who walks in who has a different value set uh, to understand it. You can't necessarily teach culture or train it. Um, I think a lot of it is intrinsic. So it's either going to be there or not be there. And, and again, this is, this is how it links into the organizational work where we're looking at how values affect what we do and, and someone once said to me you, you know if your values don't match the organization that you're working in then you'll manage it for a couple of years but it's a square peg in a round hole so after a while that friction is just going to be too great and something will have to give and and that stuck with me um, found out to my own cost uh, working in an organization whose values actually didn't match mine and I suspect it's much the same in sport you know the the, the fundamental culture the way we do things um, is, is what we're saying um, one of the conversations and I'm going to apologize because I can't remember who said it but uh, it was about how the culture extended beyond working with the team on the field 
so this was with youngsters after school or in, in a club I forget um, but it was looking at what background brought them there and why they were behaving as they did on a certain day and that really resonated it stuck with me because it goes so much further it reaches out with its tendrils to to everything that's going on in that organization or team and the things around it so all stakeholders will be involved with it it's a really good point. So I'm just going to say and claim that I said it. I think that was part of our conversation. It, it might well have been. I, I don't think it was, to be honest, but no one will know. So it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Gary, what about you? How, how would you kind of summarise it? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's probably a set of behaviours and traits over skill sets that creates a, um, an environment whereby there is harmony, but there's also challenge. And I, I, you know, Alison, I'm so glad she, you know, pointed that out as well. I think sometimes, to your point, Phil, a culture can be seen as just this wonderful place, you know, that that everybody buys into this big open thing that everybody says is the the ideal goal is that everybody just gets along, and that's not really what culture should be about. Culture should also have some conflict and some challenge in there, so long as it's healthy because it's driving everybody forwards. Um, and again, learning recently about the concept of this social loafing uh, that I, I, I brought up with Alistair, it's a case of if we're in a group of people, invariably because of embarrassment or just not really wanting to be seen as the brown nose or whatever, you'll probably have given a challenge, uh, certainly a physical challenge, maybe do it eight out of 10, something like that, you know, you won't go all in. If you were on your own or you were told that somebody else achieved a certain score or something you will push yourself harder and further and that was really interesting to see that actually how do you stamp out that social loafing within a culture and within a team so that everybody feels able to challenge and compete and push but in a way that then doesn't become so again Alison said it perfectly you know square peg round hole of culture whereby it's just toxic so it's a really fine balance that is always evolving I would say culture definitely it sounds like a bit of a cliche, I think, but I suspect this is really what we'd encompass in a psychologically safe space, isn't it? But mm. I think the difficulty with that is it looks so different in different places and at different times. Yeah. Um, so I was on a, I'm, I'm an equestrian by, by well, for, for the last 50 years, um, but I've taken up kayaking and I went on a core coach kayaking course this weekend so I've, I've only once been in a, an open canoe on my own. Well, we went out last Thursday just because my husband thought it would be good for me. So I'm well out of my comfort zone. And I went on this course where I was going to be coaching people in open canoes on their own. Well, this seems crazy to me. But what I'd say is that, you know, after two days, there wasn't a single moment where I had felt out of place or... Um, minimized and I think I'd love to I've been reflecting on this to wonder how they made such a psychologically safe space for that learning because it was a group of people who'd come together who didn't know each other a couple did um but it was an amazing organize organization to, to get that happen and everybody on that course picked stuff up and went away I think I mean we'd have to talk to the course leaders but I think it was a positive experience for everybody there. Mm. Major achievement, I'd say. And it's, it's an intangible thing to create that space, isn't it? And I think it's a really good point because also how many managers and coaches do we see that have incredible success at one team 
and then they move and they can't replicate that success mm. because of the factors that then you realize externally or right place, right time or something like that. We're all there to make that manager look good. And then they move to another place and they can't embed the same thing. So for me, in my very humble opinion, that has always been the mark of you know an incredible coach or manager is someone that can do that. And I was listening to um, the Don't Tell Me The Score podcast uh, and it had Eddie Jones on there. I think of that entire hour and a half, he probably spoke about technical and the things that he was instilling through training and drills and stuff for about 5%. The rest of it was just around his upbringing and the values that he had had instilled and even his um, role with uh, Japan, you know, everything he spoke about was about leaving a legacy and wanting to improve the game in Japan and get more people playing it and stuff. It wasn't about the game that everybody understands and knows was his you know, major moment at that time with them. So I think that for me, is always the mark of someone really high is, is that they can have these set of principles, those behaviors and traits that I spoke about that they don't deviate from, but what they do do really well is then instill that into different ways, you know, different ways involving people and, and you know, creating that culture around the people and the environment that they're working at that moment in time if that makes sense yeah no completely i i guess my question then is you but you know talked about uh, values and traits um how do we go about understanding our own self to actually know what those values and traits are because that's if, if that's what the foundation if that's what our culture is built on if we have an individual or a group of individuals that don't have a level of self-awareness around what they see as their traits or their behaviors or their values do, does that then cause the issue of undermining that they can't align because they're they they might be one of those and being lost is probably too harsh a, a way to describe it but they kind of just float between oh so and so said it said this is important so i'll align to that for the moment and then oh well so and so said this is so i'll align to that for a moment if if really deep down they they're not confident in kind of inverted commas who they are or what they stand for i wonder if that causes a bit of a problem because they might disagree they might agree but actually how solid is that foundation so how would you both go around or kind of go about developing self-awareness in people to to underpin that foundation wow that that question phil i think <laughs> sorry to butt in quickly but i'm just thinking before i forget because i haven't written it all down there you covered values confidence probably ethics ethical outlook context and um motivation only five things but wow isn't that a big question because that's the kind of thing i do with organizations and again this is such a great link um and it's about i was going to say when gary was talking about the the transferability of good coaching what what is the theme but because it is the values but ultimately you have to understand yourself and be self-aware but you've got to be able to engage and do the same and really get behind what is driving the individuals in your team, haven't you? If you said to me, you know, and, and this was really what I was doing with the charity is um, looking at coming back. Actually, we haven't done this yet, so it's going to be a learning thing, but looking at what their values are and how they mix with what the charity thinks its values are. And when I started looking at it, or when I'm coaching people in organizations, I say, well, okay, what are your top three values? And they'll say, oh, honesty, integrity, and fairness. I'm like, okay, fine. 
let's do this again. And I found a list of 150 odd words which you could use as your personal values. So then what I do is go away, right, pick your top 10. Now we're really going to break it down because what does each of these look like for each person? So if I say to you, I really believe in fairness as a fundamental thing, what does that look like in a, a rugby team or a cricket team? What does it look like for someone playing snooker or riding their horse? What does it look like if I'm out in my boat? What, what does fairness look like? And it's slightly different. And when you have that conversation, that's when you start to really unpick the real values. And that, that's when you can match them, organisation and team and individual to coach. Does that, am I waffling? No, 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 not at all. I, th I think you're dead right. And it's, it, it just becomes that real challenge of as much as I can think fairness is a value of mine. If I went and asked five other people, actually when I'm selecting a team or when I'm, you know, interacting with people, I, that would be the feedback. I think it's, a, do you know what I mean? It becomes a two-way process of I can think I'm fair, but then actually I favor someone horrendously and everyone's going, well, he's definitely not fair. Like what kind of, you know, bubble is, is Phil living in because he completely oblivious to how he's perceived outside of it. And, I, and it's, it's almost a little bit of a trap that you want feedback. Absolutely how then you manage the conversation internally, like your own dialogue, if the feedback doesn't align with your perception of yourself and your interactions. And I guess that's growth, isn't it? Like if, if you're willing to be positive about that, you're going to take that and develop it. If you're not, it's probably going to cause some conflict and, and some issues. And, and maybe that's why people shy away from direct feedback more often than we could. I'm, I'm, you know, there's lots of environments I've been in. I'm just thinking where we're kind of going, yeah, like let's have some really honest conversations and maybe people don't like the potential for conflict. And, I, and, and Gary, I think that links in with your point, like how do we develop positive conflict? Because I can think of four or five people I've worked with that would just be like, no, like I'm just not comfortable with any sort of confrontation, even if it's a, for a positive. And I always struggle a little bit like that because I probably am. Like I, I would thrive off that challenge of let's go head to head, but understand it's not personal. It's a professional discussion. It's a theoretical discussion. It's a, you know, theme it however you like. But yeah, that's that's always a really interesting one I find for me. Yeah, and I'd add to that as well. I mean, I feel quite strongly about this and I've, I've spoken because it's such a good question, Phil. And I've spoken to a number of our national governing organisations and governing bodies about this issue. So I'll start at the extreme end of this scale, because I do believe it is a scale. At the extreme end of this scale, being blunt, there's the people in the dark corners of our sector that either have poor coaching or a fixed mindset of how they are a great coach won't be listening to this podcast. And the reason that they won't listen to this podcast is because they never need, seem to think that they need any CPD or any feedback of any kind. So actually being challenged means, God, I've got to change or do something or I disagree with you and sod that. So with everything that we do in our sector, training courses, uh, learning, all of these different things, that is always my challenge back. How are we going to some way, somehow get in front of the people that we need to change most? Because they are the ones that arguably might be doing the most damage to particularly, let's say, young people in coaching, right? So there's that element. And I mean, you even look that through right up to the top of the game. You only have to look at things like Michael Jordan, who, you know, everybody pound for pound will say is the greatest player of all time. But it took Phil Jackson to stand in front of him and say, you can't win this on your own. You need a team of people around you. And this is what you do wrong. So the people that are brave enough to stand in front of those people as well and have those conversations, you know, are the people that I quite admire. 
you then go through to the other end of the scale and exactly as you say phil you know the people that hopefully are listening to this podcast uh, and, and i'd like to think ourselves included or whatever um that do take on feedback but are we really instigating that and i asked that question funnily enough on twitter about a month ago or so and i said you know when someone gives you feedback are you really listening to what they say and then implementing it and i'll throw myself under a bus here it dawned on me that i hadn't uh let my juniors i've only got i work with seven nine seven to nine year old track athletes um and i hate even calling them that because all of the horrible drills and the reps and stuff that can come later it's it's uh it's now about just having fun and getting used to physical movement and stuff but with that that go, that group of guys and girls I, I challenged myself and thought when did i let them run the drills themselves they're not stupid they're not babies and so after listening to a podcast that was talking about do you really take feedback on i let them do it and they came up with a game that i will now be using forevermore so you know i think there's also just a constant need to challenge ourselves even those really well-meaning coaches that are always you know thirsty for learning we have to make sure that we don't only hear it we put it into practice as well i think you have to be very supportive and i'm thinking back again to this uh, paddle sports course it's interesting to see how coaching's evolved um and I, I don't know about the other team sports but certainly um this is fairly progressive when I compare it with equestrian sports, which I think I'm going to be confrontational here, I think I'm still in the dark ages. Um, uh, they, there was a guy there, and he is a very, very good paddler. He does loads as a volunteer with loads of clubs, fabulous guy. Um, but he's, done, he's learned to coach under an old system uh, where it was much more um, breaking stuff down, teaching stuff, not really letting go so much. And you know what, I really felt for him because he was working so hard to change how he coached. And I think to come back to what you're saying, Gary, is we need support from other people who are going to celebrate those little successes in how we change each time we do it. Because we go and we learn these new things. Uh, and unless we've got somebody there, like we do for our participants, we need somebody there going, it was great, you did really well there. You know, that coaching session was really good what did you reckon helping us to coach it and i think there's a real need for for coaches i mean there are more communities of practice now i think but you know that is so valuable when you can bounce off one another and go oh i did this and i'm not sure it was a good thing to do but then actually this was the result i got and that looked great you know and i experiment with my riders and i usually confess it to them afterwards so well actually i haven't done that before but i had a feeling it would work and i knew it would be safe and they're going, oh, well, it was really good. Um, but sometimes you can you can do that and, and also not be afraid to adapt when it doesn't work. So these little things, yeah, that was great. And you go, oh, I'm really pleased about that. And it helps you to keep developing and learning. And we need that feedback from not just our participants, but the people around us, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the role of that kind of coach developer or mentor just becomes more and more crucial and and. I think there's in, and I can't remember which podcast it was. We talked about this, but we, we went into quite a lot of detail just around actually the everyone needs one. The challenge is the, the cost, the people. Do you know what I mean? They become, there's some real barriers for every coach to actually operate within one of those. And I think maybe that was one of the, the benefits of the explosion of online learning through lockdown, just the amount of communities of practice that, that kind of came from that. And 
yeah depends how academic you want to get with community of practice but ultimately a just a forum where you're sharing ideas and you're listening to people and challenging each other and, and that type of thing I think is I would say that's what this podcast is for me and I've, I've spoken about this a few times it's it's just a brilliant opportunity to have really engaging conversations and ask questions and throw some ideas out there and it, what was fascinating was actually I was down in Guildford for a rugby coach weekly event a um, couple of weeks ago with, with Dan Cottrell and having people back in a room to do some CPD was just like quite mind-blowing because it's I've not been in one like informally in really small groups yes 40 people in a room all chatting all engaging all sharing ideas I was like I kind of just forgot how that feels because everything has been let, let's just look at a screen for two years almost do, do you know what I mean I just yeah. and I, I do think that maybe it's highlighted the benefits of both do you know what I mean you can you can access people all around the world now through a screen so you it's, it's an, if you want it and again I guess it's it's those people at the end of of your continuums or spectrum Gary that the, the ones that do want to engage in it it's unlimited almost now isn't it but then actually how how do we still get people in a room to sit down face to face because there are going to be benefits of that that you're not going to get in 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 front of a computer screen i guess so how how do we maybe maximize the opportunity for both to to get that individual mentorship or guidance or, or just reflective conversation i guess probably that's what most of it is isn't it it's a reflective conversation with somebody that's had a similar experience to you yeah definitely and look i i will also go back to my kind of 20s when i was uh, you know doing different bits of coaching and and dipping a toe every now and now and then into um, multi-sports coaching and stuff like that and honestly some of the best coaching drills and tips and ways of thinking I've had was by completely removing myself from my comfort zone and going into a different sport and learning from another coach yeah. so if I spent a morning with Alison I have no doubt that I'll come out of there one swearing I'll never ride a horse again but two probably taking at least one or two nuggets of Jesus that's such an interesting way that they approach how to start their sessions or just those real helicopter views and to your point Phil you know I was in a similar situation not long ago where I was you know we've had some face-to-face -face type meetings but ones and twos and stuff but a proper full-blown conference and way of learning honestly the the energy in the room was incredible just pinballing off of people where even a really well done Zoom conference where you've got breakout rooms, you might make connections and stuff, great, but that, come and speak to this guy over here, reading body language, that kind of stuff, you just, you cannot replicate it. And, and, and as I say, for me, the young coaches that we work with and that we're working, you know, our apprentices around the UK, our biggest thing is around joining those dots, not just geographically, you know, go and learn from someone from Plymouth or Manchester whenever you get your chance, you know, granted most of it's online, but when we have these events, you know, go and speak to them, go and don't stay in your siloed little teams. And within that as well, you've then got the different sports. So, you know, you're a cricket coach, great, go and speak to the basketball coach over there, go and speak to the rugby coach over there because you're going to come away from that almost drained I would say with different ideas and ways of thinking and, and I would encourage every single coach no matter how senior you are actually I would argue the more senior you are you need to be stepping away from your own sport every now and then you know actually this is partly one of the I think why I'm so curious to bring it into organizations because you know we talk about how we coach and a, a constraints-led approach to coaching and stuff actually you know why can't we use these kind of boundaries and different ideas in an organization it's not so very different. Okay, we're not looking at motor skills, but 
you know, the, these things are so transferable and we still get the feedback. I mean, the problems I was looking at, you know, in some organizations, people didn't want to feedback. They were afraid to do it. So they're not learning. They're not, you know, they're not celebrating the things they think are good because they're afraid it might look wrong or they might they might not ask the question they need to ask. And uh, so there's, there's feedback from there, but it's so transferable, as you say, between sports, but also into organizations. And that must, I would think, also relate to the management of teams, not not just the coaching of the teams, but how teams are managed. It must must be a part of it, isn't it? I think so. You probably hear that quite a lot. You know, Eddie Jones, Gareth Southgate, those types of people just just will drip into left, right, and centre. Oh, I was with so and so at the you know the the Red Roses netball camp, or I was with so I you know they go and speak to each other or they have each other in, and you just kind of go like, yeah, that's that would be a pretty pretty nice level of conversation to be involved with and and it's access isn't it that's that's the big thing yeah. I'm kind of looking at and but I also do feel like we I certainly have that grass is greener syndrome you're always and maybe it's just inherent nature of curiousness and I don't think it's a bad thing but at some point you probably just need to sit down and go okay what what is it that I'm comfortable with and and happy I'm doing reasonably well because I think when you're constantly searching or looking for other stuff, it's kind of like, oh, this is nice and shiny and this is nice and shiny. But as you said earlier, like right back at the beginning, how you take that and make it your own is is really crucial, isn't it? Because otherwise we just become this kind of copy and paste generation. And, and I, I don't know who put that on Twitter the other day, but I just thought it was a really nice way to sum up actually how everyone is is kind of, I'm always after this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. Actually, what's yours? Like, what are you owning? And, and I think you've got to then go on a journey with that, whatever, that snippet that you took from somebody else, then, then you explore it, then you, then you find out how to make it work in your environments and, and for you as a person, I guess, don't you? So um, I don't know if you guys have got any examples of, of where you might have gone and done that. I guess, Alison, this conversation was, was maybe part of that. It's going and finding other people's experience and then making it your own. It is, and, and tr- looking, I'm, I'm, I said, endlessly curious, but looking for the, the transferable bits and uh, wanting to to find a way to to make it work in different environments because I'm so convinced that our idea of coaching can, can be useful. For me, it it started when I went to be a volunteer back in the 80s in in a developing country, and I effectively went to work myself out of a job. I had to transfer skills, which was not just teaching people how to do stuff, how to run their laboratories, but it was about where to find the information, to go and do it for themselves, to have the confidence to stand on their own two feet, to run this effectively in a healthcare situation so that when there was no incoming development aid, they could still do it. So for me, my my whole coaching philosophy is founded upon a sustainable learning environment. You've got to be able to go and do it for yourself. You should be able to come to me when you need it, but actually I want to be on the edge of the picture, not the center of the picture. So I suppose you could say that it's it's participant-led, but I think it's more than that. I think it's about enabling people to to find out what they want. And I really believe that nearly everybody is much more amazing than they really think. So that if you you give them that power to go and say, well, go and try it, you can do this. And they're going, can't do it, can't do it. They go, okay, so you break it down and you say, okay, try this. What do you want to try? And I think it was someone on one of your podcasts, Phil, was saying that, you know, they, they'd experimented with letting the teams go and design their own, they were youngsters, go and design their own game. 
and that works really well you know you try it what are you going to do and then gradually confidence grows very very small steps and um people will then stand on their own two feet and if we've done that we've got to be doing a good job surely yeah i'd agree with that and i just just to add a little bit as well i think there was such a good point that you raised i I think I started with that um, in our first talking point, but I definitely didn't top and tail it where sort of saying, you know, we're looking sideways almost for those uh, growth areas and stuff. But you're absolutely right. There has to be a focal point because otherwise you just keep moving sideways. Right. So you need to, to have a reason to go do it. So if it's to grow your your coaching philosophy or something, perhaps that's just time that you build in each week or something to, you know, and to give yourself that CPD. But if it's to address a weakness, you need to judge whether that has been successful. Otherwise, you're just constantly just going to be going round and round and going off in different directions, which, you know, arguably could be detrimental as well. So I think that's right. You, you really need to, to keep going. But again, it's, it's the classic continuum, isn't it? Do you stop and focus and fix or do you just keep growing and stay open and move? And I think that middle ground is the classic All Blacks, you know, um, theory of go for the gap just never be complacent just always challenge yourself but always still have that goal in mind be adaptable and, and keep moving forwards basically i suppose one of the questions that's coming into mind through this conversation is that you know most of most of the people i work with not so much in organizations but they're individuals and we're thinking about connecting with individuals to see what what they need and what makes them tick and we were talking about coaches not moving on so successfully um, to other teams and, and if I think about, I was thinking about coaching in organisations. So I have a kind of coaching match. So we always have a chemistry conversation. Before we set out on a programme with someone, we'll sit down and go, OK, do we get on, basically? You know, are our personalities going to be OK? Have we got the same general idea of what we want to do? Is it going to be useful? And generally speaking, you can find a middle ground. But sometimes you just go, no, I, need, I know somebody you'll get on with better. And you'll have the same result that you want but you'll get there more easily and it's the same with people certainly on horses they'll go actually I'm not comfortable the way you're working I'm going to go and find somebody else who's going to do it differently which is not better or worse it's just different but the question I've got is how difficult is that if you're if you're coaching an entire team because it must be a, a real challenge what what do you do that's a good question isn't it um I think you probably just need to have those conversations with that individual around their motivation, around what it is they're looking for. There's there's definitely people speaking with um, Andy Morrison. He was on a few weeks ago as a golf coach, and and he would be adamant that this the problem. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my interpretation of his his words are the problem is a player is coming to a coach looking for them to solve something for them. So he would always say resourcefulness lies within. You know, you have you have all the skills and the knowledge and everything else you need to solve your own problems. If you are coming to me as the coach going, it is your job to do this for me. That's probably always going to end in some sort of failure. And, and by failure, either you, you won't connect properly, you won't connect and, and enable something to, to flourish or be developed or you won't actually get what you want from it, because what you're seeking is probably impossible. Do you know what I mean? I think it's maybe more about we have to take our own control, maybe the wrong word, but we have to take, um, yeah, let's say control. We have to take control of our own ability to solve a problem. And that, and you know, new knowledge and new thoughts are going to come and be part of that. But I can't give you anything 
to solve that. Like you have to work that out yourself. And, and the more I think about it, the more it just makes perfect sense that we're kind of going, oh no, that coach will solve it for me. I, I see that a lot in tennis. I, I don't follow tennis, so I might have this completely wrong, but I, I seem to see lots of stories pop up on so-and-so has changed coach and so-and-so has changed coach. And it seems to be a regular thing. And I might have completely misjudged this. So if there's any tennis fans out there, tell me I'm wrong. But And I just go, like, they're probably all coaching the same techniques in a in a similar way. So what is it that you're looking for if you change a coach? Have you lost that relationship? Or are you grass is always greener or this coach will solve this problem for me and I just wonder if that perpetuates a cycle that where we see coaches as um you know people with the answers and and I and I maybe I just think that could could possibly be reframed as to we are here as you said you know the the guys leading your your kayaking course they probably didn't have all the answers but they've created an environment where you've all walked away going that was a really positive experience I've learned some stuff for myself. I'm now going to go and experience that. I mean, I was disappointed you you didn't use the quip that you were out of your depth. Like there was a great pun in there somewhere when you're in the suit. I, I, that was, yeah. But, you know, but I, I do I do feel like that that's the skill of the person, isn't it? Actually, if you said, well, what have they given you? You kind of go, well, nothing. But what have they enabled you to do for yourself? Well, everything. So maybe, maybe that's the skill. I don't know if I've answered your question. I'll just pose more questions. I'm not sure, but... I think you actually... I think we're on the same lines. At, and at the very, it's very interesting that you picked tennis and you mentioned personality. And I think uh, that, that that's actually the key thing. So we're looking at individuals working together. Um, my, my real curiosity is how... Because you, you, you either do or you don't get on with someone. And I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes people go, I think, well, you can fix it or you didn't fix it. I'm going elsewhere, which is not a great mindset to have. But um, I'm still fascinated to think because, you know, listening to what Gary was saying as well, there are so many people involved in it that we need to identify what each of them needs and understand each of them. And that's huge. And they will all be different, probably, probably. But then maybe, like you say, the Galactico thing, and mm. people mentioned that actually when I was talking to them, you know, maybe that was the, the thing. The team just didn't gel. So maybe as a coach, I don't know, I'm wondering if as a coach, you're actually coaching a team who really do fundamentally basically get on and they're going to get on with you. So maybe that's the trick and the ones that, that don't leave. What do you think? I, I, I mean, I, I just uh, made me smile because uh, I've just read uh, a book by a guy called Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. It's Incredible. Have you, you're nodding, Alison. Have you seen this? Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> 25 years as one of the world's uh, leading hostage negotiators. So mm -hmm. his whole thing is about negotiation. But clearly that, you know, is a 0.0% in terms of what it takes to bring someone down from a 27-storey building. It, for the rest of us, it means nothing in that sense. So he's applying it to general life. And it links to your point as well, uh, Bill. One of the biggest takeaways I had off it was... Uh, he was asked the question by Jay Humphrey, actually, on his High Performance podcast as well, um, which I happened to catch. And he was saying, how, do, how can we apply these principles to an eight-year-old that my eight-year-old, you know, is always late for school uh, or wakes up in the morning grumpy? And he said the way that he negotiates slash coaches is to make them understand the consequence more than the thing that you're trying to address. So they come to, with a problem. So you need to make them understand the consequence. So, you know, I go to bed, you go to bed late 
then you're going to wake up grumpy and it's the grumpy bit that you need to focus on how did that make you feel is that something that you want to do and invariably it would be a no so his his phrase that he uses is this vision drives decision so make people understand and see the vision and then they'll make the better decisions themselves so I, you know for me that was one of those again such a left field thing that isn't in sport it's a fbi hostage taking guy who has taught me actually my eight and six year old do not run this house and I can negotiate with them and I can get them to put their bloody shoes on by making them understand the consequences they're going to walk barefoot if if I have my way but anyway I digress but I think certainly with my uh, my athletes and stuff that I work with the teens I I've started to instill that you know think of the consequence piece more rather than to your point Phil just trying to be seen as the person to solve the problem in the short term You've introduced something else there, which I think is kind of where we've, we've all been, which is the transfer, transferring stuff between different contexts. And I think that's a brilliant book. I don't read lots and lots of coaching books, but I do listen to a huge variety of podcasts on different things. So it, a lot of them are analytical. And, you know, what? it's like never split the difference. You, you pick a bit from here and actually that's really good. But you're thinking laterally. And oh, I'd love to think that I'm doing well from this, but it's probably just a bit of luck. But sometimes you get this idea and it's really left field, as you say, and you think, I can use that. And anyway, I'm talking with my hands on the podcast, Um, but (laughs) you you can use that really well. So one of the things that comes up and I I tell all of my uh, coaches about this is this book by Richard Wiseman called The Luck Factor. And I just, it's a, it's a simple book, but he's a, a clever man. He used to be, an, he was a magician, but he just talks about how we view luck. And when you start linking how we get luck and whether we think we're lucky, then you start getting another perspective on why we are or not successful. And it's like never split the difference. You know, there are things outside our coaching world, which are really, really relevant to how we behave how we think and what we're doing but we need to reach out and actually it makes a change to read something completely different yeah that or the greek heroes which is my other book <laughs> i think you mentioned just jumping back to your question about the team stuff i think the, the key word you mentioned was cohesion mm. ultimately do we all get on yeah to some degree or another do you know what i mean and, and that for me then becomes and that was one of the, the points we talked about in our conversation I, I would argue cohesion is a pretty massive part of that and if if you can tolerate again it comes down to if you grouped on some sort of diagram all of your players there's, there's going to be outliers aren't there there's going to be people that have very different views to you and very different experiences and very different upbringing and everything else so who who is the person that's the furthest from you on that diagram that you can tolerate that you can be cohesive with that that you can understand and then I think it becomes you know you layer in the types of detail around then it's a culture then it's a vision then it's your values then it's the narrative of the story and and doing things because there's a greater purpose than yourself and I mean all of these complexities sit right in the middle of that and I think there would be thousands and thousands of techniques and ways to go about creating some of those but ultimately what is all of that designed to do well I would argue it's designed to make sure that the two people that get on the least can still be cohesive when it comes to the point of performance and I think that's really crucial if we keep coming back to 
not not have I brought them closer together. I don't think it's about moving them. Like you're never going to change political differences or ideological differences or whatever that is. That might change over time, but it, I, I doubt it's going to be because of some sort of activity you run on a on a Tuesday night before a rugby session or a football session or something. But ultimately, are are you bringing them closer to that central point of this is why we exist as a team? This is our purpose. This is our our goal. Whatever we want to do and and. Yeah, I think you'd hear that indirectly, I think, in lots of the media around, oh, they've lost the dressing room or, oh, you know, they can't manage the egos. Well, what is ego? It's just, it's a self-protection mechanism, right? It's it's just something that's saying, I'm not going to be that comfortable to step out of my bubble to, to connect more with other people. I would say ego is probably the biggest thing that's going to get in the way of people being cohesive and being connected. So, um what the solution is to that, I mean, that's the skill of the coach again, isn't it? Or, or the group, you know, I think it then becomes down to the leadership group and again, all those types of layers. But um, yeah, I, th- I think cohesion becomes a real part of a high performing team and, and how we create that is is pretty crucial. Yeah. And I think Alistair and I, we, when we spoke, we, we talked about, um, you know, Alex Ferguson's skill in that. And I think Teddy Sheringham and Andy Cole, obviously they win the treble together and, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying Teddy went on record and said, um, I'd rather have a cup of tea with Neil Ruddock who broke my leg in two places than have a cup of tea with Andy Cole. But what Ferguson got them to do was respect each other's value and role in the team. So they didn't have to like each other, but they can, to your point, though, you know, it's it's that whole building that, that sense of the team comes first and these are the people that are going to make that best success happen. And again, Ferguson, one of you know my favourite things that I've always read of his was I, someone asked him about you know how he's the most amazing manager or you know some really cliche cheesy question. He said, "I am until they step over the white line, then I can't do anything." So if it's all about me, I've failed. Like it's got to be those players, all eleven of them, taking accountability and responsibility for their roles and what they do. And if they can't understand it, then they don't fit in with the Manchester United ethos. And that's why you then saw some really top names leave, you know, by the side door because they just felt that their ego or that ethos just wasn't important anymore. So, yeah, just really interesting, isn't it, in the team context? It is. And I like, I like the way Phil put it. You, you've got these two on the edges. And it's mm. a way to, to bring them closer. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we have this in business as well. You get people who just can't get on and you go, OK, this is you're not friends at work. I don't need you to be friends, but you've got to respect one another and it's got to be professional. So we, we won't put you in the same room together if we can avoid it. But when you've got to do a job, you've got to do a job. And there will be some commonality there. And it's about it's a bit like um, again, you we don't ask people to to get good at things that they're really never gonna do. You know, we, in, in team sports, you pick um players who are going to, I don't know, they're built so they can run fast or they're built so they can go in a scrum. You're not necessarily going to ask them to do the opposite job if they're not built for it, they don't want to do it. And it's the same in business, isn't it? So we, if, we, if we have people who are great at something, we'll build on that. And maybe with these two people who are polar opposites, we're not, not getting on, perhaps we just go, okay, you're good at this and you're good at this. So perhaps we've got a really good way of doing it. So I'm wondering if we can just use the positive strengths to, to bring them together. It is difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think also, that again, I think Phil mentioned it, that's the skill of the coach, because when we think back, even in our own professional or personal lives and stuff, if you have disagreements with someone, don't particularly get on with someone. 
very rarely does that resolve itself unless someone intervenes and and, yeah. and draws those lines closer you know it takes a very big person to just walk over to another person they thoroughly dislike and just go look we've got an issue let's get it sorted um and so i think you know that's where you then see these things fester so another another sign of a really good coach is you know classic cliche of nipping things in the bud but recognizing that there's an issue and trying to mediate between it quickly yeah. rather than not wanting to play that role of conflict again you touched on this earlier for you know th those people that are brave enough to kind of you know be able to look conflict in the face and try to kind of really resolve it quickly actually by doing that you're going to lessen the likelihood of a real falling out in a toxic environment longer term as well so i, I do think there's a difference there between a personality or a um yeah personality conflict like we we don't have to like each other that's absolutely fine but I, i'm probably if, if it starts to become personal for me that would be a real issue I'd, I'd be more than happy that we have philosophical differences in how we approach our work or how we approach the, the objective we're going to. And I, I can think of a really clear example. We were guy guy in the RFU. I'd happily chat with him and have a beer with him. We were just very, very different in how we saw the game and how we saw what the, the purpose of the team was. And we were in slightly, we're in the same kind of department, but different teams. And, and one of the team meetings we had, like we were going back and forth, back and forth. And, and actually, because it wasn't personal, because we both understood that that, that wasn't a, I didn't like him and he didn't like me. There was nothing about that other than we just held really different beliefs and really strong beliefs about the way we should be doing stuff. And I'd kind of go, maybe that's a strength of the team. Like we, we talk about kind of diversity of thought and opinion and that sort of stuff. Like we, we can't all be in echo chambers all the time. If we'd all sat there and agreed, I'm kind of going, well, actually that's probably as like, you know, unconstructive as, as two people arguing quite a lot. So and it's kind of, you know what I mean? It, it just becomes that you need a balance. You need to, you ultimately need to get to an end point, but maybe that is a, a real strength to have those two people that are at the different ends of the spectrum coming together in some sort of way because yeah it might just help everybody else get on board with well uh, you know the the red teaming is is the classic example let's just argue against our own philosophy because that helps my own thought if i've got to you know deconstruct and and decontextualize and, and kind of you know challenge my own thinking or somebody using my argument against me that that's a bit of a oh yeah well we're going to get some good stuff out of this so how we do that in a positive way i think is really tricky but I do think it actually becomes quite, I guess, quite crucial to enable those discussions to happen rather than constantly keep it separate. Yeah, and I think, you know, my own personal experience of this as well, jumping slightly to a, a parallel track, if I can, is, you know, you asked the question about tennis players. It's, just, it's very much the same for individual athletes when they change coach. So sometimes it's the athlete's ego. They, they can't stand to be challenged. They can't stand, you know, the workload that's been given to them, whatever it is. Or in you know, my instance as well, I, I had a poor coach who just wasn't listening to me. They weren't, I, I was doing the sessions that they wanted, but I was changing the order of them because it didn't fit around what I needed to do at certain times. And then they would just reload and then reload and they weren't listening to me. So again, it comes back to that kind of, it's normally breaks down because there's just not that healthy conversation. There's just not those people accepting that one person, you know, is either at fault or just not willing to listen. So I think in an individual thing, because that's so cute, that's just an end-to-end -end user type thing. There's no team to hide that in. That's just, you know, it is what it is. I think for those that are listening that are individual, 
um, you know, coaches, it's so important to have that continual dialogue with your athletes because some of them will not feel confident or brave enough to speak up. And actually, you think you're doing a great job, but you could be squeezing the juice at 10% more, actually, by just talking to them and understanding that they don't do well in the morning. They'd rather do an easy session then and a hard one at night or whatever. Have you ever had that conversation, first of all? Or have you just instilled a coaching program for them that you think is best? So, yeah, it, it works in individual support for sure as well. It's my new stuff, actually. And, and you know, that's really interesting. You, you're talking about energy levels. Uh, and in my executive coaching sessions, one of the things I get people to do is to draw their day. And uh, it's a fascinating thing because people will draw all sorts of things. Some draw it like a pie chart, some draw a timeline, some draw lines. Uh, it just explain it completely. And there was one lady, she was a teacher and she was really, really tired and overwhelmed and struggling to get all her marking done. And it was a real chore. So I said, draw your day. And what she did was something I'd never seen before. She drew this kind of wavy graph. If you imagine a horizontal axis, and it started with the high on the y-axis and then dropping down and then up again when she had lunch and then okay in the afternoon, up a bit when she went home to see the kids and stuff, and then flat right down at about nine o'clock. And I said, that's a really unusual one. She said, those are my energy levels. And I said, what time do you do your marking? So she plotted it on the graph and it's exactly where her energy levels were at their absolute rock bottom. And it's interesting because the coaching that I do as a coach in organisations is not so very different. And you saying that, suddenly I'm making an amazing link there, Gary, because it's, it's minute stuff. And if I, if what I would love to do with my riders, and most of them don't want to, is to sit down with them for an hour, once in a while, and go, okay, so what is it that really is making you tick? Let's have a really good conversation about that. And we've got a, a dyad there. We've got a horse that might be having a bad day as well. So it's definitely difficult. Mm that idea that you're looking at the individual really closely perhaps we don't do enough of it certainly in equestrian sports i don't because people want to get out and do it and if maybe if you're a track athlete they want to get out and run or jump or whatever they're doing they don't want to sit down and go yeah you know actually i'm not at my best at this minute and these are the things that are happening at home it, it's a secondary it may be i don't know because i don't do it it could be that it's a secondary conversation or it might be that the sport is their escape and actually we don't want to talk about it, which makes our job as coaches, I suspect, a lot more difficult because we're not in a place to address it. So it, it, it's a difficult one, but it's a really interesting point about identifying stuff. There's a couple of primers I've seen. They, they do the rounds on social media occasionally just around checking in. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's a little magnet and you just move it up on the whiteboard of, of where you are or, you know, below and below. And I guess it's probably more for teachers. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they've got that environment because it's a little bit more closed. It's They know the group slightly better potentially they can just have that kind of check-in moment where they're going, right, where are you at today? Because you probably can't have 30 conversations within yeah. the first five minutes of when these people turn up yeah. and, and actually I think it's probably easier for coaches because it's normally staggered isn't it like they don't all rock through the door and so one of one of the things I used to do at Hinkley and um when I was coaching there and the pandemic kind of killed this because it was always a real I always really liked doing it was just shake everybody's hand mm -hmm. because for me that's that check-in that's that real I've seen you I've acknowledged you we've engaged yes. no one can walk away and go oh, Phil didn't even speak to me tonight 
because that that can happen and i'm conscious that like you can have 30 40 people at a session and actually you you probably can't individually coach every single one of them but if you shook every single one of their hands when they came in then it's very much a i've at least i've been acknowledged and and even in the handshake you might go well that felt a little bit limp compared to normal like you're right you just just that oh yeah you can see body language as we talked about earlier because you're in the room you can you can get a sense of things you can see the bags under people's eyes and go oh like how were the kids up late you know you know you just get those little triggers about people and yeah i do think that's they're really important aren't they because there's there's lots of stuff outside of language i think we can pick up on that that probably helps us understand those people um so I'm just going to jump back to, to our conversation, if I can, because you talked about knowing each other in 3D. And, and oh, we, yes. didn't, we didn't get a chance to kind of really go and talk about exactly what that is. So I'm, I'm hoping we might have kind of maybe it follows on quite nicely from this, that that's, yeah, it does. that's what it is. But I, I would, yeah, could you kind of just give a, a bit of an update on? Um, I will, yeah. I was just going to say, I love that idea. I'm going to, that's going to stay my mind, Phil, is you shaking hands with more, because I think that's fabulous. Um, and it does remind me of teachers who insist they're going to be outside to greet children as they come in in the morning. And yes, and it's that that little contact, isn't it? So three dimensions, yeah, it's really interesting. And it's a very different idea now because we are so used to being in two dimensions over a, a Zoom or a Teams screen or something. But my idea of knowing someone in three dimensions goes back a lot further. Um, and it happened when I was first asked to go and do um, some work for... Uh, a very big dental company and um in you know i just yeah fine i can do that it'll be great um, and what it, what the hr lady said was uh, i've got this big team who are working together but um they're just not working cross-functionally what are we going to do can you get them working cross-functionally and so i was <laughs> fairly new in this uh, new job that i designed and i just said yeah i'm sure i can do something and then went away and had to think about it and thought, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and what we did was run a series of workshops, um, which had a, an amazing effect. So what, I'll use this as an example, because I think it probably illustrates my idea of three dimensions well enough. They, they worked in a kind of call center um, or a central office, and people would come in and they'd go, and lots of desks, but they would email one another from six feet away. And sometimes they didn't know who it was sitting 20 feet away that they were emailing. They didn't identify that person. Um, and when you say it in the cold light of day, it sounds awful, but it's probably not that unusual, um, especially in, a, in an age where we can just email, not even pick up the phone and hear a voice. So what we did in these eight workshops or so was basically introduce one another, introduce them to one another. And it's about picking out something different so if i were to say to you that the typical question i ask is write down three things that we won't know about you that other people around you won't know but which are unique or amazing so for us three it'd be relatively easy because we don't you know we've not met in person but most people go oh can't do it can't do it i've asked this question hundreds of times in hundreds of places in hundreds of well not hundreds of organizations only a couple of people have failed to come up with something amazing so it's about uncovering things that interest individuals. So you work with someone or play a game with someone or whatever it is, and you see them as Phil Llewellyn, he's the rugby coach, or we see Gary Laybourne, he's coach called, or we might see somebody else 
that their so-and-so's and that ball coach. Uh, you might look at me and go, oh, Alison, she's, a, she's an equestrian coach. Uh, and then what you don't see is the, you know, for example, the Alison who's down throwing bales around and mucking out horses with hay in her hair and all this kind of stuff, totally different. Um, and you wouldn't put the one person into the other context at all. I couldn't walk into work looking like I do when I'm feeding the chickens and the horses. It just wouldn't be acceptable. But this is the, this is the third dimension. Um, so when we ask people what are their interests, they suddenly start to open up and it provides what I don't think it was some advert quite neatly called a water cooler moment. So in this organisation, we were looking at about 80 people. We had people who played the drums, people who, who sang, people who kept reptiles, people who, oh, this was a cracker, Phil, a lady who was the first female rugby coach. And she was, um, I can't remember her name now, but she was in the North Summer and she was just the most incredible character. And she had some fabulous stories. And I tell you, the room fell silent because they'd only ever seen her as the, the sales liaison for this business. Who did that? You were actually out on the rugby field. Nah, 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 nah. And, and that is probably my key idea. So when you get to see someone in three dimensions, it's understanding the other things about them. And then you go, actually, there's more to this person than I thought. So you're building this rounder picture. Again, I'm talking with my hands. Rounder picture um, of a person. And it helps you to engage. So when that person is looking a little bit, I don't know, bit down or not so chatty, you'll know. And you go, Children, all right? The snake escaped again. Have you been out watching rugby? And, and you, you know, it's things like that. And that is a very personal connection. And this is, this is really where engagement wins, I think. And it's like you, Phil, looking each of them in the eye when you shake their hand. And you'll know instantly if there's something a bit off. You won't, may not be able to explain it, but you'll know. And then this three-dimensional idea is you'll know, for example, that that child might have a pet dog. And the dog's died. Did something happen? Was the dog ill? Uh, and immediately you can make a connection. That's not a very nice idea, but you know, it, it means that you can empathize, you can actually get on someone's wavelengths, that, that kind of thing. Does that explain 3D? Perfectly. Yeah, I think you come up with some lovely examples there. Thank you very much. That's that's great. You might want to edit out the dog bit. I don't like that very much. <laughs> No, but I, but I think empathy is crucial, isn't it? And that's, it is. it's funny, I, that's on my kind of personal IDP and it sits in between what I think I'm good at and what I want to work on because I'm never sure. Like there's some days where I'm like, oh yeah, I was really empathetic there. Like I'm really happy with how much I, you know, deliberately or or just naturally empathised empathized with you and your situation. And there's other days where I'm just like, you get a message, I can't come to training because the dog's died and you're just yeah. like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And and you know and and it, whether it's mood emotions I don't know there's a lot of things that can affect that moment can't there but that's why it's always something I'm conscious of that I will never get right I, I'm messaged mm. someone this morning work related and it really bugged me after I'd sent it because I just literally went hi so and so have you done this yet not hey how are you how was your week I didn't I didn't try and connect first I just fell into that trap of bang 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 like get to the point give me an answer and and actually i'm just like oh yeah i probably need to message them back and go sorry i, sh I like i should have asked how you were and is everything all right first because i've got no idea what their life is going to be like when that lands 
because that's going to affect the response I get or whether I get a response full stop. And I think just building that, it's been really useful for me to constantly have that as a, yeah, it's, you can't, you can't be all business. Like you've got to, you've got to check in first and just see um, and mean it. You know what I mean? And that, that, that's why it's annoying. It's a not, it's an annoying slip because I, I do care. Like she's, she's one of the athletes I manage and I want to make sure that's all right, but it's, it's just that kind of my head was in a different place. So it's um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I just chip in with observation there. I literally, I could not agree more. I mean, honestly, smiling away as Alison was talking there on some of those points. And I think for me, if I give myself a rare pat on the back, I think that's one of the things that I'm always striving to do and have done for many, many years. So a couple of examples, um, the registers that I have with my kids, uh, clearly in all of the columns of the dates that were with them outlines when their birthdays are. So if they've got a birthday coming up that week or whatever, we'll make the group aware and they have to run away from them and do all these kinds of different things. But we'll celebrate the fact that they've either had or having a birthday in the week between us not seeing them. The other thing I do is, is that if you ask a child how they are, what do they say? Good. That's all they ever say, right? So myself and my co-coaches, we always make the point of seeing Phil, running into session, all excited. And I say, how are you doing, Phil? What's the best thing about your day? So we get them straight away to tell us something rather than just a closed answer. They have to tell us something that was good about their day. And Love to it. your point, Alison, we then learn that actually they got a new dog or, you know, they got an A in spelling and stuff like that. And then, you know, we'll just try to find ways of putting that in. We'll say a complicated word or something in the thing and we'll go, but it's okay because Phil got an A in spelling today. So he can tell us how to spell that word and things like that. So we just do those little things. And then finally, and again, so many coaches have been doing this so much more. I've got a parents group on WhatsApp and, you know, the title of that group is it's about the kids. So it's not for you to sell your businesses or chit chat on other stuff. We're here to post pictures and talk about what the kids are doing and what they're up to. So that look on little Alison's face when I come in and go, I hear you've got a new dog. Uh, and they, she goes, ah, do you know that? Well, there you go. So those sorts of things, just to take that time exactly as you say to have that third dimension Alison even if you can't do it in person because so many of us are so distant from our learners and our athletes and our players you know we get to see them twice a week it's a relatively small period of time you know maybe three times or something so actually anything you can do to bridge that gap and really feel have them feel like you're taking an active interest in their life is so yeah. important I think I love I love the group that I think that's absolutely brilliant. I think that's such a great way just as you say just to gather a load of information and and parents will talk about that on the touchline I imagine you know whether it's the track or the 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 football pitch or whatever that that's going to dominate a lot of those conversations if they don't know each other that that they can then connect over that type of stuff. So um sad sad and actually we also saw just super quick on that when we first set it up we were a bit nervous because we just thought it was going to be us posting pictures of the kids because again we can't share them on social media per se so it's nice to be able to share them when they've done really well and you can take a picture because it's a closed group that we've all agreed and you know they've done consent forms and blah 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 but actually now starting to see oh they came first in this little cross-country competition and they post competition races from elsewhere or they celebrate other stuff we're now our relationship with those parents is unbelievably strong because of covid as weird as that sounds because we introduced that group so yeah there are silver linings. I mean, I've had to have that conversation with a lot of people I work with, but yeah, there are silver linings. And I think we've, you know, we've changed a lot about how we work, what we do, and some of it's good. 
I just love the fact you thought I got an A in spelling because I don't think I ever got an A in spelling, tragically. So, yeah, I'm taking that. Um, <laughs> guys, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. So um, I, this has been a really, really brilliant discussion. So I, I guess we'll kind of draw it to a bit of a close. But um, have you guys, I mean, I think you've, you've listed some brilliant books and, and other things in as we've kind of gone through the discussion. But what else would you kind of recommend that you've engaged with or read or watched? Like what's what's on your kind of top top list to recommend to, to some of the listeners if they want to go out and find find some more engaging stuff to to look at or read or whatever mm. while Alison's having a think I, yeah, I, I mentioned it at the start Captain's Class is incredible really really good strong book uh, for the Netflix is amongst us the playbook is superb some of the top coaches talking about their philosophies and ethos not just the documentary about the things that they've achieved um so that's absolutely superb um and then yeah podcast wise i know you've had him on phil but uh, simon mundy's don't tell me the score stuff is is fantastic it bridges that life lessons in through sport um and a superb back catalog for people to get involved with fantastic thank you very much alison did that give you enough time <laughs> oh not not really no i mean the book that's sitting on my <laughs> I, I i do as i say i, I listen to things that are off off kilter so probably things that people are listening to anyway because it's a learning thing for me so um the talent equation is on my list um and perception action podcast but also things i, I quite like listening to matthew's side because he he inter introduces some interesting ideas on his podcast sideways so it's not specifically coaching related but it's it's approaching things from a slightly different perspective um and Again, the books by Richard Wiseman, who is he's a he's a, a professor, he's a, a he's a, a real person, um, but he writes popular science books. But this book, The Luck Factor, is great. Um, and I've just been catching up on stuff, so I've been reading Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, I listened to Nick Cunliffe is an amazing uh, power sport coach, and he did an, a fabulous series of Facebook lives during the lockdown and um, put some of this into practice for us. So about decision-making and why we think like we do. It's not, not an easy read, but there's some really good stuff in that. So, so that's still on my bedside table. And learning how to move, of course, how we learn to move. The only other one I'll chip in with, Phil, just super quick. Um, just in terms of standalone. So if, if, you know, for any of the science geeks out there, the Science and Sport podcast is fantastic. You know, really good information on a number of different subjects week on week. But um, Stuart Armstrong, that we um, collectively know and love from Sport England, who has come in and just, you know, rattled some cages and caused some chaos in the best possible way, uh, did a two-parter on there recently and was his wonderful confrontational self, challenging norms, you know, asking why things occur in the way that they do in sport so definitely uh, science and sport podcast and search out the two Stuart Armstrong episodes because particularly those people that perhaps do stay fixated in one sport or aren't fully aware of the wider sector landscape and the new ways of thinking you will get everything you need from those kind of two hours uh, and more fantastic I've, I've listened to the first one um you yeah you're right he was on good form wasn't he so yeah Hand grenades in a second as well. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, brilliant. Right. I'm going to round up the roundup. Thank you so much to both of you. As I say, this was um, just just brilliant. And I, I mean, I loved. I, 
our discussion, Alison, and I know Gary, you you jumped in and messaged straight afterwards and said that you know it's interesting how how similar but but slightly different the the conversations were and stuff. So I think just to bring this to life for other people, I, I and I've loved just just revisiting some of this and hearing what you guys talked about. So I'm hoping the uh, the listeners will have um, will have done the same. But um, yeah, so as always, to those listening, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again uh, to Alison and Gary for coming on and contributing to a really great discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.